It's lights out, and away we go. Welcome to an American's Guide to Formula One. Now let's start the show. Let's start the show, I'm Deed. Welcome to another episode of An American's Guide to Formula One. I'm Andy Lewis. And I'm Tim Lewis. A.K.A. T-Sauce. A.K.A. Spicy Ketchup. Very spicy. My co-host. Thanks for joining us for another episode of An American's Guide to Formula One. We are coming to you in the throes of summer break with our spa recap chat sesh news report. That is now becoming the American's Guide to Formula One. Um, Spa, Dad, our our favorite track. Mm. How did how did you find Spa? Wet, very wet. <laughs> this was also the first sprint at Spa. That's true. I thought the sprint format worked really well at Spa. I think um, I think the sprint racing is really starting to reveal itself as a a really important part of expanding just experiencing what formula one is. I think it's just like, I, I think I've made this point many times that when is more wheel to wheel F1 racing, a bad, bad thing. thing, right? No, it's, I mean, give me, give me a choice here. Here's your choice, dad. You want free practice three or would you like Charles Leclerc and Oscar Piastri and Max for stopping battling for points or, or in this case, Pierre Gasly getting back on a podium in how long? Piastri P2, second, you know, highest finish. I mean, I, I'll i take those wheel-to-wheel battles coming. And then, you know, also we have going from wet to dry. We have starting on full extreme wets, going into intermediates. I mean. That, I mean, how much more excitement. And it was even packed into a smaller amount of laps because yeah. of the delay and they were starting behind the well they weren't starting they were just running behind the well i guess they did start and run behind the safety, safety car, car four, was it four laps and it was delayed yeah. for how long over an hour like 30 minutes or something uh, i don't it was yeah, delayed so for think, a while i'm thinking 30 minutes i'm glad i came into it late i didn't watch it live i got to fast forward through all that yeah um but I was expecting Hungary, what was that, Hungary 21, where they do the formation lap and everybody comes in at the end of the formulation lap and it was just Lewis sitting out on pole. Do you remember that? Yeah. I think they, they talked about that. And I was I was actually surprised. I think only 10 cars came in and pitted straight away for enters. Do you know why they did that? Do you remember what they were saying? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, it was, I think what I remember was it was a gamble – for double stacking, because if you had twenty cars in a grid, you're gonna have to. Oh, yeah, you're gonna have to sense. sit and wait, depending on where you are located in the pit mm-hmm. lane, for traffic to move, because you don't want to go in to try and beat everybody out and then end up with a five or ten second penalty for impeding or speeding or right. You know, um, yeah, that was that was the talk because of the. Um I mean, it's just all the congestion as well. Not only you're double stacking, you've got your team car behind you waiting for you to get done, and then you're trying to get out where all these other cars are coming down. It's it's kind of because you got to yield to them. You can't have yeah. an unsafe release. And um, remind me, and those who are listening who don't know this fact, but how is the grid the the pit box? location where is, how do you determine which pit which garage or pit stall is yours or the team's i think it's by your position in the world standings it is so um that would make so red bull is pit one pit pit, pit one being the first garage spot as you come in any pit lane right and last spot would be 10th Mm-hmm. Slash nineteen twenty, mm-hmm. um, being at the very end of the lane, which if so, I mean, in some circumstances, it's a benefit to be like it's obviously a benefit because you come in and get to work on the car faster. I mean, it's it's all a wash, I guess, because you spend the same amount of time relative to your pit stop time. 
Yeah, I think that works great if you have a routine, you know, your usual tuna 2.3, 2.4, yeah. 2.5 second pit stop. That works great. But well, if you have and a delay, there's going to be somebody coming out of the pit maybe twice as early. They're going to be coming in your way depending on how well, far they are down the Well, I think specifically for Max, Max was in during, he, he was in P1 because he got, got on pole, duh. Mm-hmm. And if he, so he's behind the safety car. So if he would have come in, he would have gotten into his pit box just in time for a trail of cars to be still coming into the pit box when he's trying to get released. Yeah. And I think that would have given Piastri the advantage because his pit box is a little further down. I mean, all in all, he stayed out. And it it didn't work. I think the risk. I think everybody who risked coming in, right off of the the opening, right after the safety car went in for the start of the race, ended up at a net advantage after people came in and pitted for their enters because the full wet. I think George deemed it. George Russell deemed the full wets or the extreme wets as safety car tires. Like they're only good for laps behind the safety car. Mm-hmm. And I think there's been a big push. And I think Spa highlighted a lot of this too because the it wasn't that the road and the actual surface, they've done a lot to, to increase drainage of standing water because standing water is what's dangerous mm-hmm. when you're doing, uh, when you're in a Formula One car because that's when you aquaplane or hydroplane and have no control of the car. Um, but I guess the spray, well, A, these these F1 cars with the ground effects throw more water up into the air, and then the, just the nature of the topography of Spa, especially specifically the Camel Strait, uh, Rouge, Radion, with it, it being kind of a valley and then tree-lined, they're saying that the moisture just seemed to hang in the air for mm-hmm. a lot longer here. And there was the, they did also do, the FIA is trying, they've been trying to do spray guards that they put on the cars for wet wet weather running that will knock down some of that spray. But I think that they were, I don't know if you saw any of that. It was a basically a net wash. There was no advantage to having them on, so they didn't do it. Yeah. I like that they're trying, but I think they're thinking the spray is coming off the tires, but it's coming off of... From the diffuser, for the from the ground effect diffuser coming off the rear of the car, and I think if you put a big plank over that, you're ruin. Wouldn't you be ruining the aerodynamics of the of the diffuser in general? Yeah, I think you have to. You would have to have the device past the controlling surfaces, the surfaces creating the downforce. Yeah. So this, you're gonna have this thing hanging. Way out the back, which is then weight, which is then weight, which is also you can't extend at see a certain length. And although these cars are massive compared to previous huge uh, generations, but um, I don't know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess you could put fenders on the car. That well, that's what they did, but I guess it just didn't offer enough reduction in no, spray I mean, like and real fenders, like off a Chevrolet. <laughs> Let's. So stock car racing now, not Formula One. <laughs> Make them tougher. Um, I like that they're trying to think of something because it is it is a bummer when you have a wet race. I, I think that's one of the things that I always, and I think we've said it on this podcast before, is that I like indifference to NASCAR and other racing. I mean, I know endurance racers, they race in the wet too, but I think that, that it, like, it is a great equalizer or or it promotes better drivers, people who have more an adaptive driving style. It is entertaining. It shakes up the grid. It offers a, a level of risk and excitement. It's one of the things I love about the sport is that it's an all-weather kind of thing. Yes. But I also understand that the safety component, I don't want I wouldn't be able to go down the camel straight at almost 200 miles an hour and not see. <laughs> like I, I when they particularly with the helmet cams. Yeah. I mean that's insane. It really Why, is insane. You just have to know the track so well cuz I'm sure you're making it, you're starting your turn by memory when in those conditions because you can't see it. 
I think that they, I mean, I think they do know that, but what about, what if it's something blew out on the track? What if a car spun right then? What if, yeah. then you're looking at a Jules Bianchi yeah. situation where you have something not moving quickly or, or is stationary being hit by something moving very quickly. Yeah. And as a medical professional, you know, the, the human body doesn't tend to enjoy that. No, no, it doesn't. So, um, so I, I want the drivers to be safe. But like you know, you we it was almost a moment with Martin too, where he says, you know, we have extreme wet tires. Put him out on extreme wet tires. That's what they're there for. Like let him go racing. But I think Martin is also was a why we all love him and we love that era of the sport. I just think those guys assumed the death more readily mm. like they it was more they faced it i mean one or two a season sometimes right yes but i think that's also why the sport never really grew is nobody nobody wants to see somebody get hurt i mean crashes are one thing mm -hmm. but when you see somebody get hurt or look at look at the listen to martin talk about chunks of seasons that he missed because he was injured or mm. the effects of his very dangerous career now as an older person. Um, I don't think he would trade it. I don't know. I, it's finding that balance between being a, a very entertaining and exciting and dramatic and dangerous sport, which even though, let me finish my sentence, being that and also being a safe thing where we don't watch a, bu a, lunch, a bunch of young kids die mm -hmm. or yes. get seriously hurt or end up with brain damage. Mm -hmm. or I mean, I like that's, I think, why I don't like football as much or boxing is I don't like seeing these 45-year-olds with dementia, <laughs> yeah. you know, and like not being able to be humans anymore or worse, you know, developing disorders where they're, you know, incre becoming incredibly violent towards people mm. or their people in their life. I don't want I don't want to see that either. So it's finding that risk versus reward, um, but still giving us that sweet, awesome, wet raining, wet running racing because it was it was so good when they were actually mm. getting to go racing. I mean, it, and putting their real, absolutely elite skills to the test. It, it the the rain highlights it even more. I think. Oh, it just adds so much more. You are down to more. Not so much the performance of the car as being all out, because if you do that, you'll spin, you'll slide, you'll, um, you know, you'll lose traction. You won't. Uh, it'll just be. Uh, you're really kind of finessing brakes. You're finessing the throttle. You're not just wah, on off, wah all off. It's the, you have to be a driver that knows what the road's giving you at the time. I think uh, I was listening to Collecting Cars podcast and Chris Harris, which is just, I mean, if you don't know Chris Harris, you should know Chris Harris. I think he's one of the greatest motoring journalists of our of our time. Um, but he highlighted a point um, because he's, a, he's done amateur racing and, I mean, he's a journalist, but he says, I think that we live in a, in a, in a data-driven time for motorsport. The sport has te technologically advanced to the point where you know what is possible at all times. Like, you know what the car is possible. Whereas he says, when we would be go, go racing in the past, it was just to what you were comfortable doing. But you, your comfort level wasn't then compared to the data, which of what is possible. And I think that, that, you know, these guys are competitors. And if they know what is possible, they'll exceed their comfort to get what they know is possible. Mm -hmm. And I think then you run into risks of injury and because you're you're make you're gonna make mistakes when you're out there in a world where you're not driving with well, confidence. And fortunately, because of that similar level anyway, that of technology, the understanding what's happening during uh, 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 that this kind of crash versus that kind of crash, and then formulating rules on on um, body construction and frame construction that, is protective to the driver. Yeah. Which Think. is some of the reason why the cars have gotten so big. Yeah. And, um, and so the, uh, I guess, I guess I lost my thought. Sorry. I interrupted you. That's okay. It may come back soon enough. Um, okay. Let's get into, we can, we can cover some of this because some people had really great sprints and some people had really terrible sprints. 
I will do the winners and losers of the sprint race. I think Leclerc was a winner. Uh, Piastri was definitely a winner. Gasly was definitely a winner. But what happened to Alonzo Pops? Spinning out lap two or lap three of the sprint, he just loses it um, and gets in stuck in gravel. That lap seems four. so uncharacteristic of of Alonzo. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think that the loss of performance is affecting that? Do you think he's he's trying to make up for the car not being as competitive as it was? Yeah, uh, on one hand, yes. But on the other hand, hasn't Stroll out-qualified him or out-finished him in the last two races? Well, now, especially when you DNF, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I meant no previously. Yeah. Stroll, Stroll has been finishing ahead. Stroll actually had a pretty minus his his crash in in the sprint shootout mm-hmm. made some pretty darn exciting racing moves during the race. Uh, <laughs> risky, perhaps risky, but, but I mean, if it if it passes, it passes, right? Bold. Well, yeah, if it passes the scrutiny of the stewards, and which I think it did, it did. Speaking of passing the scrutiny of stewards, I know you wanted to talk, and I wanted to talk about Hamilton's five-second penalty in the sprint race Um, for that collision with Perez. Right, that was late in the... Early. Well, the the sprint race you're talking. Yeah. Okay, so I have it was, um, I guess, like lap seven. So it was more than halfway through the race. Yeah. And um but that took Hamilton Okay, I think do you well that that do you do you think the contact was warranted of a of a of a penalty? I I thought that was like racing personally. I, I have no problem with it. I mean, we're going to jump in between here, but neither I don't did Piastri did pa, Piastri end up getting a penalty for um, his collision in in at turn one, it, it never got a penalty, right? The science no. science and Piastri collision, which ended up was much worse of a collision, and yet didn't get didn't get a penalty. And then the penalty for for Hamilton for barely any contact was a five second penalty in a what was an effectively eleven lap race. I think they really need to, and this happened to Science earlier in the year at one of the other sprints where he got a ridiculous five-second penalty in a sprint. And I think if the racing time and distance is reduced, then so should the penalty times should be reduced. Like, they, like give give Hamilton a one-second or two, two, like cut him in half, right? If it's a five-second penalty, usually it's a two-and-a-half-second penalty now. Mm-hmm. Because... When you only have eleven laps total, and then you, like you said, you get your penalty halfway through that, or more than halfway through that, there's no way you're going to be able to do anything about that penalty. Well, no, and that just drastically shakes up the. He went from what fourth to eighth, or fourth to seventh with that penalty. Let's see. I think he did finish seventh. It's it's it's. What do yeah, you think seventh. about the, the the my my proposed question about reducing? Time penalties during sprint races. It all it follows suit that that because there's less time of racing, that penalties go further. But then that adds even more. Well, especially if the idea of the sprint race is to give us as fans racing, right? Like yeah. a all out. Like we, you don't need to worry about tire management. You don't need to. This is. Go for glory. Get some points, you know? Race. Yeah. That's Agreed. what they, you know, that's what how the sprint has been sold to the F1-dom. So then, but if I give a littlest nudge of barely any contact, I'm getting what is now, instead of like a five-second penalty, really becomes a 10 or 15-second penalty in its result yes, of what it would have been in a, a, a regular Grand Prix, like I just think it's, it, I think it's absurd, and it's going to discourage close racing, which is what we're all here to see. Well, that's kind of the the premise of the sprint was the 
you got to get for it now because you're not going to have enough time to come in and get it later. And I mean, and then it, and then the other thing is like the outcome of it all, right? Like Perez ends up not even finishing the sprint race. Mm. And it definitely, I don't think it was due to the damage that Hamilton gave him because it was just a little bit. It wasn't that bad. It was a barely a touch. I just think he, yeah. it must, or, or that, that Red Bull Aerodynamics is the most sensitive thing on the planet. Well, did it, did it uh, put a big hole in the side pod? No, that was Sciences. That okay. was Science and Piastri, and yeah. Piastri picked up suspension damage on right. the inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, since we're talking about it, let's talk about it. What do you think of that? Because Science was very adamant, even going a little overboard, I think, and tweeting about it and really being adamant, but. In my opinion, Piastri needed to back out. That was Science's corner. At no point was he alongside. I mean, based on the regulations that have been established by the FIA, you have to get your axle alongside the, the leading car's axle for you to have any entitlement to room. And he at no point had that. Well, particularly in those kind of conditions. Um, yeah, it's a sprint race, but, you know, God, at least get... No, no, no. This was in the main race. This oh, was the main race. We're talking about science and, and piastri. Piastri. Okay, sorry about that, guys. Um, the, uh, I don't know. It's just so disappointing. Uh, it it just, is because it just, we needed those guys battling to keep Max behind. Yeah. Or at least make for some interesting thing. And then they were all, you know, they both just tumbled out. That was... It was just pitiful for somebody who had qualified so well. And had such a good running in the weekend. Piastri was oh, on fire. I mean, yeah. I mean, if there was any doubt that Piastri was everything that we were thinking he was going to be, mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's proving it now with a car. I mean, he's out-qualifying Norris. He's outperforming Norris. He's right there with Norris. And I think... I mean, he just needs more more instances like this where he needs to get a cooler head and know that that one corner isn't everything and it better to back out for that corner. I mean, because I forget the name of, of turn one at Spa, um, but it it's infamous for being a, a treacherous corner. I mean, mm-hmm. how many races have been ruined at turn one at Spa? I mean, it's the list is long. But it and it is such a crucial corner for on Rouge Radion the Camel Straight like you need that good exit, um, and but it doesn't matter if you put a hole in your car or you break your suspension and you end up retiring from the race anyways. Yeah, wouldn't it be better to take two 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 car losses than all of it, which is what inevitably happened. But I mean, easier said. Than done when you're sitting on top of a thousand horsepower with all that adrenaline, and you're a racing driver. There's a gap you go for it, right, son? That's correct. That's correct, Uh The uh, gosh, it was just I don't know. I just my heart just sank because I thought we could expect a lot. Well, also because Piastri and Science were both drivers on my grid rival team, so uh. I was very. <laughs> I lost a lot of points, and I'm pretty sure Piastri was my star driver as well. So, well, good thing for that. At least you got 28 points out of it um, <laughs> instead of 10. But um, I think that uh, did you have? Did you have? Do you honestly have any doubt that Max was going to win that race? Absolute. Yeah, there was no doubt in my mind. I mean, he said it after the you know after the qualifying or sprint or one of the interviews where he said, well, you do have the five, five grid penalty, but what's the target? And he said, he's like, well, we won from 15th last year <laughs> and this car's better. So I think it would be unrealistic to not be targeting the podium or yeah. the win. And I was like, yeah, that was a pretty dumb question. <laughs> um, it's instead of, instead of asking Max, if he thinks he's going to win, it's, it's uh by how much do you think you're going to win this yeah, time, Max? It was 22, 22 seconds, seconds over yeah. his teammate. In the same car. In the same car. Which, I mean, <sighs> I know we've hit this, we've kicked this horse a lot, but it does, there was a moment that we do need to talk about when they were, it was that, the brief light rain that we experienced midway through the the Grand Prix. and uh, Yeah, lap 18. Yeah, uh, Max had a moment right at Radion coming where the car comes unloaded up on the hill and he 
we me and dad were preparing for the podcast and we were watching this and we were watching the onboard. And again, I'm going to reference Chris Harris and he's, he, he put it into perspective. He's like, the TV does not do it justice of what just happened there. But he said, there's probably three living people that can collect that slide in that speed and that conditions in those cars. He said, maybe Lewis, probably Lewis and maybe Alonzo, I believe. But he said, it's the, that's a short list of people who don't have a big crash right there. Mm-hmm. And for Max to just kind of chuckle it off briefly while going down the camel straight just after, <laughs> had, a, had a bit of a moment there already, <laughs> you know, like, Gosh, cool. and got ice in his veins. There's that, there was that one that highlighted to me. And then there was the one where Norris goes off in the gravel during qualifying when it was wet as well. Mm-hmm. And man, just keeps it pinned, rides it cool. And he's like, we may have picked up a bit of damage on the front. Wing there. Like, I mean, it just, there's these moments that these guys, like, I think we, we see it and it doesn't translate. And we need somebody to really put it into perspective for us that like, they just make it look easy. It's well, I've, not I've, easy. I'm just sitting here thinking that very same thing is that when they showed that moment, it seemed like, oh, a little twitch in the steering wheel. And um, then to find out that at that moment in those conditions, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That eh, there's not many people that's going to not crash. Back. Yeah. And he said, the other thing he said that I thought was really interesting, he says, it's not a reaction that comes from your eyes, it comes from your butt. Mm. Like he says, if you wait till you're seeing the slide, it's too late. That Mm. the arrest of the the slide comes much sooner. It comes from a feeling. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you know, I think Senna talked about it, but it's driving by a a feeling, by like this, there's something more than Mm -hmm. seeing or comprehending what's happening. It's just this, innate ability this the sixth sense or whatever that is developed in racing drivers to just you know have you ever catch it have you ever experienced that when driving i mean just around yeah and usually i mean you fixed the axle on the volvo (laughs) (laughs) and that was happening in a parking lot at 10 not (laughs) not going over a blind corner yeah at 180. Yeah. That's, you know, like they were talking about that, that when you go up Radion, you, you just see sky. Yeah. Like, I, that's what I understand too. And then, and then to, to know that you, when you crest that hill, it's like you have no grip. Yeah. Period. And then, and it's ra- it's raining and you're on slick tires. <laughs> I mean, Good Lord. the commitment and, that they have to go through on Rouge and Ratty on flat out. Well, that's what they talk about. Max, he just has this, he's so committed. Um, well, I think and, winning and he, eight races in a row and 12 in the year and like the dominant, that builds that commitment. You know, I, I don't think, I think of any driver on the grid, Max has the most confidence, the most trust in that car because it's also been, been built around him. Sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, but it doesn't change the fact that you still have to commit to it. Right. That It's that uh, nobody comes, is coming close to the commitment of a turn or a chicane that Max is. There's, you that know, commitment I'm, verges on recklessness sometimes, though, sometimes, I think, too. Sometimes, but that isn't, that, uh, isn't that really the definition of racing? Yeah. I mean, I think it's you, know? it, you call it commitment when it affects only you. <laughs> and then well, you call it reckless when there's other guys around you, right? Well, I think that commitment that's a a very that's a moving target because you're okay, am I too close to somebody to expect to have this much downforce to expect this much grip out yeah. of the brakes or this much out of my throttle? Um I mean, it is just like you said, it was that weird feeling you get mm-hmm. that when you know that your conditions are ripe to unload your 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 grip and spinneroonie, so it's uh, for some reason the, the, all this calculus happens in these guys' brains like it's super fast, and they just they put it together, and they stay out of trouble, 
and they put themselves in positions of advantage. And I mean, we and, and I mean, this is where we we separate the good from the great too in these conditions too, because we saw, you know, we saw so many people crash at Ravage. I mean, mm. that's where. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's where Alonzo went out. We saw Ocon have a moment. Sergeant's gearbox had to be rebuilt from practice into qualifying. Mm-hmm. These, this was these were tricky, tough conditions that even some of the best drivers can't cope with, can't handle. And that's the other reason why I like that. Why I thought Spa was so highlighted is it really does show you who's who's committed, who's there, who's got the skills, who it really it's one of those areas that really separates people. And when you see Max, you know, um go eight tenths faster than every other person on that grid. Mm. You know, it does it does highlight his his absolute ability as a as a tremendous racing driver. And mm. I I know we we dislike him and I mean we we have to talk about him and JP. Yeah. And I I do I, he's just it I like that interaction. I, I know it will remind you guys, but it was after it was going in between Q1 it was the end of Q2. And it, and Max was dangerously close to um getting knocked out in Q2, which I would have loved to have seen just because he would have been further back. Um I think he I actually thinking I've been thinking about this since we watched because Ocon crashes in p2 at Ravage, which is what we were just talking about as well and he has to come in for a front wing takes too long doesn't get back out doesn't get a, a flying lap in um sorry for the dings and whoops um but doesn't get a flying lap in q2 and i think Ocon running would have gotten would have knocked max out of but i think a it's just a tough situation though track is ramping up I think it went within the last two minutes of qualifying, two seconds of pace was added to the drying of the track. That's why you saw, you know, Botas, one of the first guys to change to slicks, go to the top of the board and then get knocked out. You know, that's just how much track evolution happened. Um, but Max comes in and goes, oh, that, he goes, that was bullshit, you know, or that was stupid. And he's like, well, we are, JP was like, well, we are through. And he's like, I don't give a fuck if we're through, if we're in P10. That's not what we're here to do, which again highlights the mentality that it need that you need to be mm-hmm. a red, record-breaking team. I don't care what place we finish if it's not first. I don't want to hear it, you know. So I I understand that, but it was Max. The thing I don't like about Max is we should have done what I said we should have done, mm-hmm. and just that. I know fucking everything, and you don't listen to me, and we don't do good. And we're like, you're dominating, bud. Okay? And I love JP's response because he goes, fine, you pick the tires. You pick when we go out. You you tell me, every, we got one more session left to do. Tell me what to do, bud. We'll do it. Click. Yeah. And, and, the, it, yeah. and he, he came off the intercom. Because as great of a driver as Max Verstappen is, he's not a strategist. He can't be a strategist. And it's like to be a successful organization, to be a successful team, is you have to hire people and then let them do their job. If you have a team of strategists working out the best strategy, it's probably the best strategy. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Ferrari. It sounds like it, like it could have been a moment with Martin. What would be? Call this one, audit, audit, automations by Andrew. Yeah, all I'm saying is I, and I know you apologize, and I know that they actually do have a good relationship because that's all we were hearing about. Mm-hmm. Well, oh my God, are they going to go on vacation they together? They're like married a married couple, <laughs> and it's just like that's not a good excuse. Like I think Max, you know, that's one thing. I think that's also why I never really gelled with Schumacher very much. Mm. is because there's a way to win too you know like you watched lewis for eight years and i never i had very few of those moments and i mean even even he was prone to being a little bitchy on the radio but he was also the first to throw his hands up and say all right sorry 
I'll shut up. Kind of like, and and when and he's always the guy who we win as a team, we lose as a team yes. too. And yeah, he yeah. he puts his hand up when he makes mistakes. Yeah. You know, that, yeah, that happened no at doubt. the last race in Hungary when he bogged, the, he bitched the start. You mm-hmm. know, and I say there's there, there's a there's a reason why we don't like Ma- I don't like Max, and it's not because of how good of a racing driver he is. There's been plenty of good racing drivers, and the the era of dominance thing, which we it's a main thing we want to talk about too it's an inevitable part of this sport but there's winning with grace there's treating your people well there's there's just not being a petulant child who didn't get his way and throwing a temper tantrum especially when you don't have all the information because i think jp said that okay so if we would have done it your way you would have been out on the track when it's two seconds a lap faster and you were gassed with no battery and no pace that you would have for sure been out then you know, it's like, mm-hmm. count your blessings, we're through. We could have lived to fight again. You're going to go on to take pole by eight tenths, man. Like, there's a there's a plan in motion here, buddy. Mm-hmm. You think you think by your eighth win in a row and your third world title in a row, you would start to trust us that we are we are all here for you, bud. <laughs> like, well, yeah, that he hasn't gotten it yet. That this, he, he just, he just can't call the shots. He's that he's to drive the car. And let the strategy, like you said, let the strategists do their strategy. And it's like, come on, figure it out. I mean, these are the things that, um, you know, sort of start to endure. People have endearment for you instead of, yeah. oh, man, you're so damn good. It's, it's going to be the thing that limits his... his, his uh, Impact, his, influence. His, 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 his overall standing of the sport, right? Yeah. Is because... There's I I cannot think of another another team another where where is so set up for one driver, yeah you know and it still doesn't ever seem to be good enough for him no and I, I think that's what's what what rubs me you know he may very well be the most winning driver when his career ends if if uh, if he can keep a seat well who's what, not it's too much money involved I get that but like. To, to let me, if let nobody me, wants to race with him, nobody wants to work with him. Well, you you've got to have somebody who wants, who either recognizes and or is perfectly satisfied with being number two and creating a, a position for where the number one is going to be in the best. Well, Danny place. Rick is right there waiting. I think. Well, I don't see. I don't think Danny Danny Rick. I think is has grown up a lot. I think and he realizes that even sitting in an AlphaTauri is better than not sitting in an F1 car. Mm-hmm. And so I think Perez saw that too. No seat, seat. best seat in the car, best seat on the grid. Yeah. Or one of the best seats on the grid, even if I do have to come out second all the time. Right. I was taking this conversation someplace else, but I can't remember. Max, we we're just talking about Max, that he has the ability, definitely has the oh, ability to oh. even break Lewis's records. Okay, yeah, that... Right, and he may, he may set a mark that may be never broken. Yeah, I mean, really, have I don't remember Lewis dominating in this one early. Race no, after another, after another, like like this. Um, but the um, I'm going to remember Lewis Hamilton a whole lot more. Vettel at, at Vettel Senna, yeah, because. You're talking about, I mean, there's some act like you've been there kind of thing. I mean, you are the most elite drivers in the world. You're a group of 20. Yeah. And and you happen to be the guy right yeah. now. And, you know, it's like, I've been here. And this is, it's, it's lost its, uh, it's kind of this weird chivalry, this gentlemanliness about, you know, well, and I think, we go all out, and now let's go play cards, smoke cigars, and drink whiskey. Yeah, and I think Lewis, I mean, there was earlier on moments in Lewis's career where he was, but I think he picked it up pretty quick that I'd rather be beloved and great than just great. Yeah, I think every, virtually, I don't know, I don't know every too, driver is, you know, I am one of the top 20, and they start I mean, you have week. to, I mean, you kind of have to believe that in yourself well, to get there yeah. to a certain extent, but once you're there... 
Like, let the driving talk, man. Yeah, let your let the driving talk. Like, okay, you're there, so act like it. Yeah, uh, I think thing. it, and I think it it shows in the industries too. Like, you know, went back in twenty one and stuff when you you would hear Horner. This is why Max and Horner and Helmet they all are just it's, they're the they're the empire, man. You know, <laughs> is that like? It's almost like it. They feed off of that negativity and that. Yeah, we're the best, and you know, yeah. and like we're gonna talk, and we're gonna be in the limelight, and we're gonna be the drama. And Toto is just like we're gonna work hard, and we're gonna let it, we're gonna talk on track. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. or Albon, or and I mean, we we brought this up too. Albon said, "No, I'd rather drive in another series and drive at Red Bull again." You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to be a part of that energy. I don't want. I don't want to be in that that group of people. And it's also why I think it's so weird that Danny, that, that like, I think Danny Rick has realized he'd rather be anywhere in formula one than out of formula one mm-hmm. because he could have had the alpha tar seat. He has now long before even taking a sabbatical. He, you know, that I think, and I, it shows a lot that people are willing to go out of their way to not be at that organization too. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know. Um, well, I think it's a journey, man. Yeah. And and we get better at navigating it as time goes by. Or we should. And, we should be trying uh, to at least. So I think Danny figured it out. Yeah. I love figured. Danny Rick. I, I mean, I would like to see him get. I like Perez, though, too. I really yeah. do. And I just. What the heck? I mean, he had a terrible sprint. Came back in the race or something. I mean, maybe the maybe the damage did end up being. Wasn't didn't he have side pot? Was he the one that had side pot damage? (laughs) I mean, they did briefly touch on the side pot, but I don't think it was as significant as like sciences or. Oh, I'm thinking of science. Um, but I I confuse those two guys all I guess the time, and I have no clue. Yeah. It's, maybe it's the dark hair. I don't know. I think I think uh, I think that Spa was a good turnaround for Ferrari again too. Uh, minus Science's damage, I think Science would have gone on to be a lot better based on what we saw in the sprint. Both mm-hmm. him and I mean he finished above Leclerc in the sprint. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Ferrari had a a good setup. It seemed Leclerc Leclerc was on de facto pole after. Um, the penalty. The penalty. Yeah. And yeah. ran in the lead for a while and, and, and put up as much of a fight, I think, as you can put up with that, that Red Bull. you can reason- you reasonably and safely can, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I mean that straight's a long straight. This is one of the longest. This is the longest yeah. track. I mean, there is just the Red Bull. This is a this is a Red Bull dominant <laughs> track, right. too. And it's, and let's face it, the, the excitement in the early parts of the race were... Watching Max make these great passes. I mean, and he... In places where you don't usually expect them, but he did because he could, and his equipment responded to him. And Yeah. I mean, it's like... You were napping when I was talking with mom earlier because she's... My mom, pseudo-follow. We should have her on the podcast one time because I think it'd be a who. Yeah. Because she's... I think she is... She's like the ideal target... For liberty, almost in the mm. sense where mom's a casual sports and and watcher. She watches it because we watch it and we do the podcast. Well, and, don't say that about her dear Broncos. Well, of course, but um, but it, it, she knows enough. She knows the name. She knows who's winning. She knows mm-hmm. who's losing. She knows who she likes. She knows who she doesn't like. Right. It's not Max, by the way. But she <laughs> always says this too: is like I don't like when just one person wins all the time. Right. And I get that, and I was trying to, you know, balance it to her and saying, like, that is F1. Flat and simple. There always has been, and there probably always will be a dominant figure or team in Formula One. But Matt Matt Patterson sent me a real great thing, and we were we were chatting about this. And I wanted to have mom, but we couldn't make it work. Um, it's never been like this, though. And they were talking about this on collecting cars as well. And it's something that I wanted to talk to you about. And I think it's because even in, well, A, the gap's never been this big. No team has ever won this many races on a row. And I think if you take out what I I was listening to Formula Bone, J-Bone brought this up to what he called 
the George Russell anomaly, which is George Russell's win in Brazil, which was the last time Mercedes won and the last time a non-Red Bull won, it would be 22 out of the last 23 races Red Bull has won. And Mm. even in the Mercedes era of dominance, you had, for the first part at least, you had Rosberg right there giving Hamilton a run for the money so that even if they were finishing 30 seconds ahead of the next team, Rosberg was finishing tenths or seconds. You know, some of those really close, that was one of the first times we really, really, well, not first times, but where it became really prevalent to having hundreds, thousands of seconds splitting Rosberg and Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, and the year in 16, when Rosberg won, he won by five points. It came down to Abu Dhabi. Oh, yeah, you know, and we're, we all would want that, and it was, and, it, and like we, like, well, at least we got this, right? Yeah, and uh, and I mean, like, you rattle off some of those wins that Lewis won. I mean, twenty twenty was the the most dominant the Mercedes ever was, and Lewis won by a hundred and ten points, right? Mm-hmm. After the whole season was over, right? Max is winning by a hundred and ten points over his teammate now. Mm. We're at the summer break. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's that's what I think is that's, off-putting. Yeah, that, that's why we can easily talk about Verstappen, about maybe being by wins, podiums, but, blah, 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 that he may be the greatest technical driver, but someone who is looked to as representing Formula One, he I don't think he'll be it. But... If you just chop off one, we give Max the title now. We start a new title. <laughs> and we're like, you got it. Okay, good, congratulations. Rest. Go away now. Um, <laughs> but this has actually been a fantastic season. And I, I'm pushing, I want to push back on all the downers. I mean, look at what we had happen with Aston Martin going from seemingly back of the midfield to podiums, and now they're right back at the midfield again. And then and we're like, oh, well, that's a bummer. We're not going to get to watch uh, Fernando be on the podium. Well, in comes Oscar Piastri and Lando Norris. Mm-hmm. And they go from 17-18, running and literally racing AlphaTauri for last place, to podiums and... P2s and sprints and just fantastic racing. That's, I'm like, this is the best season I can remember in the, I was trying to think. Best and worst. Uh, Well. Come on, no one, nothing's, I mean, that's the other thing. The other point I was going to make is that nothing's going to come close to 21. Like I was saying this to mom. I was like, it's like, it's like you were born when Haley's Comet's running around. And you're like, why isn't there comets in the sky anymore? And you're like, because that's actually really rare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know it happened when you first got into the sport. Thanks, Drive to Survive. I'm, I'm, I mean, our podcast, we're riding the wave of, of this American growth in the sport. But, but those kind of nail-biting, coming down to single points, battles throughout the whole season, those are rare. And you got to learn to just celebrate those. And, and, ex, and, you know, and it was so great. But you also have to remember that it's it's the goal of all of these major, major organizations to become a dominant force. And so we can't punish them. As much as I don't like Red Bull, I don't want to see them be, like, cut off just because they did better. That's the point. Well, I just why... Yeah. I, I mean, and they will, they will fall off at some point. They, in, inevitably. Not so much maybe ne- fall off. Might be not until 26. But well, <laughs> right, when everything changes. When regulations <laughs> change. But that's what but, it took to really propel them to the fore. Yeah, I mean, they rode the wave. They rode that cloud, you know? So, because um, there is luck involved here. For sure. And um, uh, I think that you really just wait to see who emerges next. Well, it, it's we, not so much, and, and Red Bull may fall off. I mean, if Adrian Newey were to retire, would 
Would they be a contender? Uh, or, or all it takes is somebody with the budget going. Yeah. Whatever they're yeah. offering you, man. <laughs> well, Salaries yeah. don't factor into cost cap. Mm-mm. No, that's true. So, I, I don't know. I think Nui just comes across as this, I'm hanging out here till I die. I, I, think, die. I think that's an inevitable thing. But even at a certain point, you know, all empires fall and all forests burn, man. And it's a law of our planet. Like, you know, nothing lasts forever. I mean, let's just take Williams. At one point, yeah, you could see the end to the Williams domination. Yeah, right. And it's hopefully it's again. up and yeah, because it's just cool stories. I just like Williams. I like Albon. I like that Albon wants yeah. to stay there. I like that he wants to build something. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, with Frank Williams having had his accident and, you know, Claire. Kind of, yeah, well, she's... She kind of run it down the ground, though, a little bit. Well, what? Look at the budget. Yeah. Well, I don't it's, think... It's changing. Claire is, to me, Claire... This is uh, Frank Williams' daughter who yeah. became the team principal, ultimately. She just seemed like she was together. She did, but I think she didn't... She did the thing that we were talking about with Red Bull is that she didn't hire people and trust them. You know, uh, yeah, I think that might be a good point. And I think we need to talk about this too, about because and you brought it up with Williams is they did just inherit. I forget the guy's name, but he was um, Alpine's chief strategist or chief technical guy, um, and he left with the mass exodus of Otmar Safnauer, like the two guys that got fired right. mid race weekend. What was up with that? Like. Get a career, guys. This is, I, just looks bad. I think they must have gone to the Ferrari school of of business and team management. I get, but even Ferrari didn't do it in the middle of a race weekend. They waited till the season, season at least. At least wait till the Monday. They're Ferrari, okay? Like, hey, you're fired, but go uh, do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so what do you what do you make of all of that? Of the. Of the shakeup at Alpine? Yeah. I, I, I mean, as much promise as they started and it coming along. And then to just like, it's like, golly, forgot the diaper change or something. I mean, this thing is getting real stinky about how things are done. Uh, your top guys are being let go. In the middle of a race weekend, let alone middle of the season, and I don't know, it just doesn't seem like, other than mutual departing of the ways, it it seemed like, this is, why is this going on? I, I don't think they know, do they? Well, I think um, they just have an unrealistic expectation, and... Um, they don't, they don't give, they didn't give Otmar, they didn't give the team the funds, the, what it takes to actually live out their ideal of becoming a works championship contending team. You can't spend 80% of what Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari, Aston Martin, you cannot spend 80% of what they're expen- of that what they're spending in this era of the sport and expect to get the same results. Or I well, think Otmar Safnauer said you can't you can't go and impregnate nine women to try and have a baby in 3 months. It takes 9 mm-hmm. months to make a baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. there's just certain undeniable laws of time and development and getting the right people in place and and moving towards a goal that just takes uh, just takes time, and you can't rush. You can't. I mean, it takes it takes the time it takes to make carbon fiber. It takes the time it takes to do the testing. It takes the time it takes to find, recruit, hire, develop drivers. But but you also can't squander them away by just leaving a contract unsigned and you lose piastri because look at what piastri is doing you know that was a huge miss you could have had you could have had oscar alonzo and ocon 
as your drivers. But you now you just have Ocon and Gasly. Mm-hmm. And but but like like we said when we were talking about the same sort of stuff with Ferrari is firing people doesn't improve it either. Having a a culture where you don't trust the people you've hired to do the job. Yeah, that's all that speaks of. Yeah. You're not good enough to do this. We never trusted you. We don't trust you. But you also have to remember now, Alpine is basically Renault. And they're world championship. uh, 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 What am I trying to say? Constructors. Yeah. Uh, With Alonso. That's where both of Alonso's world championships came from was when he was with Renault. I'm trying to find Alan Prost. Four, four-time world champion Alan Prost tweeted about this as well, and I was trying to find the tweet. I should have been pre- better prepared, but he basically goes on to say, like, that you can't you, you can't work for this guy when he doesn't trust his people. Mm. You got to You want to, and it's an, actually a, a a formal theory of business, and like, um, but you can't you can't build a winning organization. You can't build a successful business organization when you don't trust the people that you've hired to do a job. And I get if they've done things that have lost you the respect or like that you they've made decisions, but then you need to you need to handle that. You can't just fire them. And I don't I do think they botched their driver lineup. But from what I had heard from listening to other media is that he had made a lot of 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 acquirements from people from other organizations that weren't going to even take place until twenty five. And he's like, We'll see. Like, you'll see what would have happened because I hired them. They're here. So unless you fire them, they're still coming. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I just I, – and I feel like they're just it's, – it's, it's a weird strategy that they have going on. Well, their damage control strategy is not working. And, I, I mean, it's some, I know that this really seems like a big advertising goal to, to promote your one-car lineup. And I guess we are starting – we are going to get – the Alpine A110 here in the States, which I'd be like, I'd like to see them driving around. I'd like to see an experience that because apparently it's a fantastic sports car. Well, it better well be. <laughs> but who gonna, who's going to buy your car if you're not a winning team? Mm. If you're, if you know, like all of your world accolades is, we came in fifth again this year, guys. We hit our goal and came in fourth, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Hey, both drivers didn't finish again. Buy our car. They're real reliable. <laughs> you know? We, we've had two double DNFs in a row. Yeah. We're a solid automobile. So, um, it, it, it's, it's a weird time, a weird sport. There's a lot of people that need to, they need to figure that out because uh, there's people coming for them. McLaren's, McLaren's better than them now. Aston Martin's clearly better for them. And looking to the future, both of those teams look to have better road plans to develop way on. I mean, you have Aston Martin's ties with Honda. You have McLaren uh, turning it around. Ast- uh, Mercedes turning it around. I mean, it's... What was it? There, there was four-tenths of a second separating... P two to six, you know, like this is this is tight. You guys got to come with your A game, and they aren't coming with their A game. But I also don't think people should be fired mid race weekend. Uh, well, it's, I mean, it is a long haul for some, and uh, for some, I, I the only exception I could think of is when Braun was around for a year and they won the world championship. But I think the, those years are gone, though. Yeah. Because it it takes too much lead up time to develop any sort of thing, or it takes, or it's going to be like, like Aston Martin. They're going to nail the rule change that other people's bumbled, and that's going to give them a severe advantage. But only until the teams that can catch up can catch up, which we're seeing now. Mm -hmm. Aston Martin's nowhere anymore. They did something to that car, and they need to figure it out in the off season to have any hopes of salvaging their second place or third place. Right. And I guess, although the, the the vibe was early on, we put all of our eggs in one basket to the beginning of the season, and that was part of their dominance. And then f- from race five or whatever out, we're not going to plan I mean, on I, doing I guess much, I just I, said that, but... I guess they're going to 
start to bring more upgrades. I they need found, to. They found speed. Somehow. But I, I think, okay, I they said. They think they have anyway. I, I, I know what I, we said, I kind of earlier on in the podcast alluded to like McLaren coming out of nowhere, but that didn't come out of nowhere. They had already started. The developments that brought them back to the front of the grid or back to fighting for these points and podiums started before the season started. That's how long it took for them to go from 17 to podium. Is it they they made the corrections in the lead up to this season and now that's paying dividends. So that that should give you an idea of of what it takes to turn these billion dollar industries now these huge you know ships it, 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 they're not as nimble as they once were is what I guess I'm trying to say. Right. It's, it's not 15 guys in a shed. It's it's mega industry mm-hmm. with boards and shareholders. And and that, like I get that that creates a mess and is harder to run, but I think it was one of the race guys, they say, at some point you have to hire people to do the job and then trust them to do it to do and it. let them do it and hope that that progression moves forward and – and um, uh, well, expect it. You don't hope. You expect it. You expect it, and hold. Yeah, because you want and hold accountable, and find out why it's not. If it's not, not yeah, just right. The other speaking of why it's not. If it's not, we did need to talk about what happened to McLaren because it seemed like there was a tale of two McLarens this race, where in the wet and the sprint and qualifying they were rocket ships again mm-hmm. but then come come the race what in brundo column moving chicanes <laughs> that's right he did uh you know they yeah they they couldn't get out of the way fast enough yeah um what was that due to dad the well mclaren has has always been known as a high downforce car and in the wet well and and the park Furve rules are that when a car is set for the race, it can't be changed for any other reason other than reliability or safety. Mm-hmm. And so McLaren made the gamble to set the car up for the weekend as it was going to be wet for the weekend. So they had they had a more downforce wing on. They were set up for high downforce situations, which is what you want in or rain. Do, but ha- I may be wrong on this, but weren't they? Aren't they also known as kind of having a high downforce? Them and, and Red Bull, yeah. yeah okay. They've in recent years they've been more of a high downforce car. Okay, but I, I like your yeah. I, it's but more specific, truthful to the yeah, point. Yeah, and uh, and because uh, they do have a lower downforce wing that they yeah. could have, but but I think and and then you saw in that brief rain stint that we had that just didn't fully deliver to give us real shake up. But there was one section where Norris took four seconds out of Max in the middle sector alone. Which is apparently the key sector of winning a race. Yeah, there. but when you don't <laughs> when you don't have the red the the rain that's slowing everybody else down to yeah. you, and then you're trying to go up the camel straight and you know, Red Bull has thirty mile an hour advantage or Williams has a thirty mile and everybody else has a you know Mile, it's like it's like you're driving with your dear ass clothes all the race. Right. And everybody else's is open. Yeah. So that so it's not that they're actually slipping in form. It was just that they made a setup call and it and it, it did and didn't really pay off. It gave us some really awesome racing and qualifying, but in the dry, sunshiny race, it it was a it was it, an anchor. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it was an anchor. And it and it allowed for a little bit of a of a payback for I don't know. I remember all those races where Lando Norris was waving as he went by his teammate Danny Rick. But this brings us to our moment with Martin mm-hmm. um, where Daniel Ricardo got to pass his old buddy Lando Norris in an AlphaTauri. So here's your moment with Martin. Ricardo, of course, getting biffed out of the McLaren for Piastri. So it would have taken a certain amount of satisfaction. <laughs> getting biffed out. <laughs> Ah, you gotta love your mom. I haven't, I haven't used that term in a long time. That is, yeah, biffed. Oh yeah, that was when yeah. you were a kid. We always talked about big biffs, man. Biff, biffs and whips. Biffs on, biffs on the skateboard, baby. Yeah. Well, we have a nice little summer break. We'll we'll try and work out something to maybe give you and bring you another episode during the summer break. 
And then we have plenty of great racing to come right after the summer break. I know I'm really looking forward to, uh, we got Suzuka coming up. We got, um, what's, what else is coming up, Dad? Check it out, baby. We so got, prepared. Uh, let's see, we got, uh, well, Netherlands. Oh, basically. well, Max, Max Kingdom. Well, that yeah. will be something. From, from going from. We got Italy, which I'm very excited to yeah. watch the Williams of Albon go around Italy. Hopefully he doesn't get another appendicitis. That's right. In Singapore. Maybe. Well, DeVries is available to come and cover again if they, if anybody needs it. There you go. Singapore so, will always be great. That will probably be another track to watch Perez on. I'm pretty excited about well, that. Well, just a heads up, the Netherlands Grand Prix is the weekend of the 25th of August. So. Yeah. So we have a we have a couple weeks until the next race. We'll try and we'll definitely get you a race preview show for that. I don't know how interesting it'll be because it's Max, the holy land of Max, but we'll figure something out. Um, thanks. Oh, we got to be proud of something. Well, be, we'll find something. Those, thanks. Those thanks nice for listening. <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. And um, we'll see you on the next episode. Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs>